Hey, welcome to the Church Home Podcast with Judah Smith, my amazing husband. My name is Chelsea, and he's about to give you an incredible message. And I know we are going to hear about Jesus and his love for you. And if there's anything we can do as a church home community, we would love to serve you. You can come to churchhome.org slash pastor chat, and we would love to have a conversation with you and just meet you exactly where you are. Enjoy the message. I want to talk about rest, and, and one of the reasons I talk so much about rest is I think the primary reason for which we exist is this uh, expression called worship. I think that's the number one reason you exist. Now, whether or not you acknowledge that or you're down for that or you're into that or whatever, that, that's totally cool and totally fine, and it, you know, I'm sure we could go debate the subject, but, but I am persuaded that, that the primary reason for which you exist is to worship God. Now, Oftentimes in these settings, when a preacher like me says worship, uh, you think, uh, you know, what band will lead us? You know, what style will we do? Will we sing my latest favorite from Mav City? I don't know, right? But, but worship actually isn't music. It can be. That's one of its forms. But worship is this life that looks like Jesus so that people think about Jesus when they meet you. That's like the ultimate act of worship. I, I voice memoed a friend uh, two days ago, and I said, uh, we played golf together, and I just said, you just remind me of Jesus. You make me feel special. You make me feel like I can fly. You encourage me for four and a half hours. I don't know what else to say, but thank you. I love you, and you remind me a lot of Jesus. The Bible calls that good worship because by associating with someone, I got my mind on God because they're so gregarious and so kind and so generous and so considerate and they listen and they care. It makes you think like, wow, there is goodness in the world. Where did it come from? Maybe God. That's good worship. So I want to talk about worship. And I think one of the purest forms of worship we have left on the planet is this act called rest. For when you rest you are declaring loudly that you are not God. When you sleep, sleeping is one of the greatest podcasts you could ever download in your life. You should wake up every morning and being like, dang, the world's still here. That's weird. How did they live without me? But you know what's crazy? The world keeps revolving when you go almost brain dead for eight, some of you, it's more like four hours, but however long you sleep, you wake up and guess what's still here? the world, because you're not God and neither am I. And that's good news, by the way. You are not the master and commander of your own destiny. There is a God. And by worshiping him, you are going to discover one of the great benefits, which is a relief of pressure, stress, and anxiety that some of you are carrying and you don't have to. And so tonight, one of the big ideas in the space is that actually, and I know this is going to sound merely a metaphor, but it's more than a metaphor, you can leave your anxiety, your fear, your worry, your restlessness and sleeplessness in this theater and go home without it. 100% my passion tonight. We ain't, we ain't up here playing games, Okay. This is not a game. This is real life. So I want to speak to you from the subject, uh, too tired to rest. Have you ever been so tired you couldn't sleep? Have you ever been so tired 
you're restless. Ever been so in need of rest that you're restless? You are unsettled. You can't quiet your mind. If that's ever happened to you, uh, this message is for you. I have a hole in my top left molar. Information you probably didn't want to know. But I do. And I started to feel it. And then I started to have what I thought was pain. Now, I'm weird when it comes to teeth. I'm still in search of. I'm being so serious right now when I say this. If you are a dentist in this auditorium and you are willing to put me to sleep before you work on me, I will give you my money tonight. Okay, that's, that's where I'm at right now. And I haven't been to a dentist yet who won't put me to sleep. Most dentists are like, it's very expensive. And I'm like, the trauma that I have to deal with is expensive. So uh, either way, it's going to be expensive. I'm going to therapy or you're going to put me to sleep, right? I, the dentist is a real problem for me. So one of my worst fears is that I just start having cavities. Now, for those of you in this room who don't get cavities because it's, and, and you pretend like it's your brushing and your flossing, can you be honest with the world now? It's called your genes, and I'm sick of it. I'm, I'm so serious. We have friends. Our kids have friends. This is a real phenomenon, and I know kids who brush their, the enamel off their teeth, and they have cavities, and other kids who never brush and don't have cavities. So once again, life is not fair, okay? I have sensitive, soft teeth. The dentist says every time I see a dentist, he's like, wow, you have very uh, soft teeth, which is, means I have bad teeth. I have baby teeth, and I'm a child. That's what it means. So I'm like, oh, man, I got this hole up here in my left molar, and all of a sudden I have pains. Now, at the time, I didn't know they were phantom pains. Anybody know what phantom pains are? I'm a big, phantom pains play a very big part in my life. For instance, if you're like, Judah, how's your back been lately? Sometimes I'll be like, oh, it is, it is kind of not feeling good, you know? <laughs> and football was the worst. I played tackle football for 30 minutes one time in high school, and I'd get hit, and I would lay on the ground, and I would check all my extremities. I'd be like, are you good? Are we good? Oh, God, okay, get up. You know, my whole idea about playing football was not get hurt. Make it to the end so we could go to pizza. All right, the point is, here was the worst part of the dentist, and I'm never going back to this guy, so I'm just going to tell you what he said. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. He says, do you brush? I don't know, are you going to give me bubblegum toothpaste after this, too? and a red toothbrush, like, are you, I'm 43! Yes, I brush! That's as offensive as, do you wear deodorant? Do you know what I mean? Have you ever asked, has anyone ever asked you if you brush your tongue? That means you have bad breath. <laughs> By the way, that's code for brush your tongue, you know? That's the thing, right? You guys brush your tongue, or is that just me? Oh, this is interesting! We have half the broom doesn't brush your tongue. Grow up, brush your tongue, all right? It's a thing. It's a real thing. It's important. He goes, do you brush? And I chose the wrong line of work because when you're a minister of the gospel, anytime you go to like a dentist or they're always like, reverend, huh? so you're a minister. And you're always like, ah, oh, bummer. So he's like, do you brush? And I wanted to be like, are you, is this how you do business? You insult grown men with grown children asking me if I brush. Yes, I brush. But what was his logic? You know the logic. If you don't brush your teeth, you get... If you don't drink water, you get... If you don't eat food, you get... (laughs) 
That one's not as clear. Malnutrition. Like, Judah, it's not malnutrition. That's not the term. Someone just said, hungry. No, you starve. Come on. All right? If you don't take a shower, you, you have great hair. Um, I never wash my hair. I got to start washing my hair. I really do. Anyways, um, this is, you know what's so silly about our world is there are things that are so definitive. I got cavities. Anyone will tell you. You need to brush your teeth. Hey, man, I, I always smell. I just, I feel like I have body odor. Do you wear deodorant? No. <laughs> you shower? Not a lot. <laughs> Bro, I always feel just kind of weary and, and just exhausted. Do, do you drink enough water? I don't drink water at all. I drink Diet Coke. I had a friend tell me one time, I'm averaging about 28 Diet Cokes a day. And I was like, I don't think you're going to hell, but you're living in hell. You know, like, <laughs> dear God, that is the worst, ladies and gentlemen. Aspartame is a thing. It's an actual thing. It's a poison. I rest my case. Um, you know what's weird? Is if I said to you, um, you, you need to rest. That's an interesting thing. Because... The, the, the silly little logic that insulted your intelligence because you're grown people, when I just said, you know, you drink water, you dehydrate, you gotta, you, if I said you need to rest, not sleep, but if I said you need to rest, our culture is in a really interesting place, and I think I just proved it to you if you're honest. If someone said to you, you need to rest, a lot of our cultures right now is like, mm, what does that mean? What do you mean I need to rest? You, like sleep? No. Rest. Margin. Time off, bandwidth, recovery of perspective, collect your thoughts. My friend Amanda Cook said the other day, she goes, I went on a walk and I collected my thoughts. What a wonderful portrait of what's important as a human being. You need to actually go get your wayward thoughts and bring them together sometimes and look at them all like little minions. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Do you ever have thoughts you don't think about that you think about all the time? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you don't question your thoughts because you never collect them. They're like cats. Your thoughts are just like a bunch of little kitties and they're just running all over the place. You need time. You can't do that all day in traffic. You can't do that filling your schedule. You need to rest. But rest isn't in vogue. Rest isn't the order of the day. I was in the airport today. You know what I heard. I heard some guy my age talk about, oh, he's a millennial. You know millennials. Here we go again. And what's wild is I'm old enough now to remember when dudes were doing that about me and Gen X. Same bit. Same thing. Y'all don't know how to work. You know what hard work is. You guys always need a day off the whole weekend. All your songs are like, it's Friday. We had a weekend. You know, like, we, don't, we, we work over the weekend, right? And it's happening again. But because of the technological age, it is intensified. There is not a preacher alive that would disagree at this point that the subject of rest is, uh, well, it's paramount to say the least, isn't it? It is a topic that needs to be talked about. But what we're not talking as much about is that most of our circles, our social circles, we are not celebrating the person who's resting. We are making fun of them. 
But when are we going to be honest? When's the last time you were hanging with your friends and you just came back from a two-week vacation and your friends were like, I am so proud. I tell everyone about how hard you vacation. I am so proud of the margin you build in, the breaks you take, and the rest you make happen in your life. It makes me thrilled and happy, and you're my inspiration. That's not how the conversation goes, does it? How was Europe? Oh my gosh, Rome was amazing. Must be nice. <laughs> oh, did you see the Colosseum? Yes, it was gorgeous, was it? Christians were killed there, probably not that gorgeous. Okay, um, well, did you eat a lot of really nice food? Every night, the food was incredible. We were here, we were here working. I thought about work every day. Oh, that's good. That's important. I still did some Zoom calls. Good, good, good. Do you know I've gotten advice from people? You have to stop telling people how much time you take off. They're going to get the wrong idea about you. So now I'm just going to preach about it. Because we're all, thanks for the 14 people, getting up the courage to clap. That's where we're at, folks, in this world right now. That's where we're at. We're like... We're clapping for his rest. <laughs> now I'm tricking you. Um, but you know and I know that's where we're at. I'm grateful that I have some dear friends in my life, and we have made it a practice to celebrate each other's rest. In fact, more so than even oftentimes the work. The work is a partnership with God, but the rest is a partnership with God too. The rest is, I think, probably a purer form because I've found that when I partnership with God in work, I oftentimes think it's me doing it. The wonderful thing about rest is when I partner with God in rest, I know it ain't me doing it. And that's where I have discovered enormous growth and development in my spiritual life. Time to collect my thoughts, time to reflect on my life, time to think about my children, Time to consider the state of my marriage. Time to ask myself hard questions about my romance with Jesus. I remember being a young preacher, always telling people, I'm never going to be a professional preacher. I just love Jesus and I like to tell people about him. But that young man didn't know the days that would come ahead of him because he would have every opportunity he could imagine to become a professional preacher. I think you begin to become a professional preacher when you start preaching on stuff you hadn't lived in a long time. And you start preaching stuff you don't apply on an average Monday afternoon, but you espouse it, you just don't use it anymore. That's when the professional thing starts to set in. It's funny, you can see it in any other line of work too. You ever talk to somebody, you're trying to get a product, and they're supposed to be selling it to you, but to be honest, they're giving you the thought that you probably shouldn't buy this, and you're like, you need to get a new job, something you believe in. I didn't want to be that. And by the grace of God, at 43 years old, I can honestly say that I'm more in love with Jesus than I've ever been, but I wouldn't be unless I rested a lot. A lot of people have asked, and I'm being really honest tonight, and I was not prepared for this. This isn't in my notes. Wait a minute. Where are my notes? But the point is, 
One of the reasons we shifted is God asked us to shift the model of this church, but I wanted to be an example of rest. This church doesn't belong to me. The church doesn't belong to the preacher or the pastor. It belongs to Jesus. But our culture has found it's very concentrated and very pervasive, and we all feel like we're on the grind, and that is the mentality in the high order of the day. But I have discovered something about me and you. We are oftentimes so exhausted, we can't rest. You ever had one of those feelings where, um, Chelsea and I talk about this probably way too much, but you're like, I can't sit down because I won't be able to get back up. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you're raising kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And what you do is stay on your feet until it's done. Tell them kids are down, you're on your feet. Because Chelsea and I are at that stage in life where you do one of these and you're like, wait, we were going where? To a movie? Nah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm not going to a movie. Like I, I sat down, somebody helped me. I've fallen and I can't get up. You know, like, because you're so tired that if you crash, you're not going to get the, that's exhaustion. Hard work is noble and awesome. I think we're in a very interesting time because generations are clashing again and they're alluding to this idea that millennials and even younger aren't going to have a work ethic. Now, it's just how we define work ethic and I'm over it because it's not good logic. Every generation, what my kids can do online, what my son does in selling Jordans on the side to make money is infinitely more than I ever made working at a golf course. Now, he has a lot more spare time than I had working at the golf course, but he's also making a significantly bigger profit because he figured out how to use technology. So you can argue that my son doesn't have the same work ethic, but that just is poor logic. So I'm not so much interested in the discussion between generations of who works harder. I think that's a fool's errand. What I am interested in is do we know how to worship well? Because the primary form of worship that mainstream evangelicals are attached to and proud of is only the partner with God and work one. And I'm looking for partner with God and rest one. Because that's purer to me. In that, it will speak volumes to you. Something you need to hear and I need to hear, and that is you're not God and you're not in control. And you can go ahead and let go, let down, and relax. Whew. Here's what I want to do. I want to take you to Luke chapter 23 and Luke chapter 24, and I want to give you three signs or signals or ways for you to know um, whether or not you're resting, whether or not you're resting. And so what I want to do is I want to take you to um, the most unrestful Sabbath in history. Now, if you know anything about the Sabbath, 631 or more laws given to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, God makes a commitment and a covenant and he sets up rules and commandments. And one of them is that the seventh day every week will be a day of complete, total and utter rest. This is really, really important. Now, what we're going to find ourselves kind of easing into here in a moment is a passage in Luke 23 and Luke 24 where Jesus is about to be crucified. He'll be crucified and he'll be buried in a rich man's tomb. And what's interesting is the Sabbath day will happen. That Sunday was the Sabbath day. Now, that Sabbath was unlike any other Sabbath because all hope was lost. Jesus was 
gone, uh, and the disciples, his followers, had frankly forgotten what he said. Now, I want to say this about rest. One of the things rest is so important is rest is one of the purest expressions of trust that we have on the planet. Rest is actually the action or the participation of saying, I trust the one who is in control and is in charge. Now, I'm being very, very specific here. Listen, there are some people in here, if not all of us, that are wound up like a rubber band ball. Anybody ever have a science teacher that made a rubber band ball? What was that? That was so weird. What that had to do with science or biology? I don't know. But every science teacher in 1996 made a rubber band ball and showed all his classmates, uh, sorry, his students. And it was like, oh, super cool, man. Anyways, that little portrait that you 40-year-olds just got, um, is how a lot of us are wound up. And you're so worried and you're so fearful and you're so wound up. And I would like to present to you tonight that what is making you so anxious is less true than what I'm about to tell you. It's less true than what I'm about to tell you. I'm gonna give you a universal, super galactic truth that should dwarf the thing that's got you worked up like a rubber band ball. I'm being serious. There is a God. He's the one that keeps your heart beating. He's the one that taught you before anybody taught you how to breathe in and exhale. He was there before mom and dad taught you how to form words. He was there and he loves you and he has a plan for you and he actually, whether you see it, experience it, acknowledge it, or know it, is in fact in control. That might end up being one of the great challenges tonight in the next few moments that we spend is that your need to feel, to pretend, to perceive that you are in control is working you up to a lather, and that is why you are so anxious and restless. The problem with this restless era is it is producing what I think is the paramount Um, damaging emotion of our generation, anxiety. And I would like to present very carefully because I've done enough therapy to know I don't know nothing, okay? And I have not studied in this area whatsoever. But I would like to present for your compassionate consideration for yourself that a lot of your anxiety could be, please hear my words, I'm not, don't quote me as saying it is because of, but it could be because of your lack of rest. And and we're gonna talk about this just for for a moment. Because what we have on our hands in Luke 23 and Luke 24, in fact, let's just read this, this passage. Luke chapter 23, verse 55. The women who had been companions of Jesus from the beginning saw all this take place. That is the death and burial of Jesus. And watched as the body was laid in the tomb. Verse 56, afterward, they returned home and prepared, listen now, now as they're working in this, prepared fragrant spices and ointments and were planning to anoint his body after the Sabbath was completed according to the commandments of the law. Now, this is a very nominal verse to most people, but it's very significant because it tells you something about the state of mind and the perspective that the disciples that Jesus walked with and worked with were in. Now, this is important because you've never physically, tangibly seen Jesus. So your propensity to forget would be just as similar as their propensity to forget, if not more so. 
Which is to say, if you're gonna beat yourself up tonight because you are restless and anxious and fearful and worried, that is a waste of time and energy and I want you to give yourself more credit. It is easy, natural, and normal to forget that God's in charge and start to believe that you're in charge. It takes approximately 20 minutes. Right after this sermon, I bet within 20 minutes, you will be presented again with the driver's seat and the driving wheel to take over your life again. It will happen very quick. It could be a phone call. It could be, it could be something that uh, uh, Sweet Crystal was going through, and all of a sudden, all bets are off. Conditions are no longer optimal, and I no longer have time to be at peace, to be restful, to be easy. In fact, we live in a culture where if you are at peace, when you are perceived to not be at peace, you can be canceled. So be careful because your peace can be problematic. Your stillness in your soul can be misunderstood. Your ability to rest in the storm can really mislead people. It was the disciples that stood around Jesus and said, he is sleeping on a pillow. <laughs> Jesus is sleeping in a storm soaking wet. Can't be bothered. For even the elements are at his beck and call. And the disciples stood around him, and this is what happens when you learn how to rest in storms. People will stand around you and say, you don't care. <laughs> so now... We don't rest because we want people to know we care. So if there's something going down in our country, I can't let anybody know I'm resting because then they'll think I don't care. We've gotten out of control is what we've got. And we all are telling each other, are you anxious? I'm anxious. We need to help each other. But we're not. We're not. We are busy trying to hold it all together. Stay in the driver's seat and pretend like we got the directions. But we don't. And we're a lot like the disciples on that fateful, unrestful Sabbath. The Sabbath that was full of anxiety and restlessness. They're supposed to be resting. But what are they focused on? Get the spices get the ointments. What's that for? According to the Jewish law, they were to, the next day, they were to embalm the body again as to cover the stench of death. Boys and girls, Jesus said he wasn't going to stay dead. They can't remember that anymore. How do I say this? I want you to imagine in a three-month span, Jesus telling you he's going to rise again minimum three to five times in three months. At the end of those three months, he's going to die just like he told you he was going to die, and you still forget. So if you're up in here beating yourself up because you forgot God's in charge of your life and you've been busy trying to be the commander and master of your own destiny, welcome to the club. Everybody relax. That's called being a human. And if you have kids, you really know what I'm talking about. You're like, Jesus is not going to raise these kids. I'm going to have to raise them myself. You know, like... When things get tough, that's when we quote that scripture, God helps those who help them. Oh, that's not in the Bible. Dang it. <laughs> this is the mentality of the day. And it's become popular. Even more so, it's become vogue. It has become the thing you do to hang with your crew. You talk about how much you're grinding. You talk about the hours you're putting in. 
I've had literally pastors tell me, Judah, you work so hard, you need to tell people how hard you work. There's a reason I don't tell you how hard I work, because it doesn't feel like work, it is a joy. And I offer my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It is my joy to do so. Is it always a joy? No. In general, it is? Yes. But I want you to know how much I rest, because rest is the purest form of worship I'm involved in right now in my life. It's when I tell God, this is your church, this is your, this is your marriage, these are your kids, you are in charge here, and without you, I am going down minus the blaze of glory. I was going to say, I'm going down in a blaze of glory, minus the blaze of glory. No one ever goes down in a blaze of glory, rarely, okay? But, but I, I need Jesus, you need Jesus, but we, we forget. First observation I want to make, and it's about the ointments and the spices, because we do this too. What we do is we take, we get activity, like the ointments and the spices, to cover what's really going on. And that's what the women were doing. They were going to take, according to the law, they're going to take ointments and spices to the tomb to embalm further the body of Jesus. Oh, you won't need any spices for Jesus. No ointment necessary. When they get to the tomb, the angel is like, what are you guys doing? You're in the wrong place. You're in a place of dead people. He's not dead. Why are you here? They forgot. And so when they should be resting, waiting, anticipating the celebration of the resurrection of the son of the living God, they are, they are putting together pathetic little spices and ointments. On the most important Sunday in human history, these women who are heroes, by the way, let it be clear, men were not the first people at the empty tomb, and they're still not. Women are. Without women, there would be no church. But they forgot the guys forgot, and they were busy trying to cover the stench of death. But we do that, don't we? What I'm going to do is I'm so tired, I got to keep moving. I got to keep going. I got to keep moving. I got to keep going. This is an epidemic. I got to keep moving. I got to keep going because I'm going to cover it. I'm going to cover it with activity. Activity is going to prove I'm not tired. Am I the only person when the wrong person asks me, are you okay? And it's kind of offensive. It's kind of annoying. It kind of gets under your skin because you don't really know them that well, but they're trying to keep you accountable and they're trying to check in on you like they're superior to you or they're more spiritual than you or they're more restful than you. You know, people with breathy tones, you know, breathy tone Christians, or am I the only one that knows them? And they walk up and say, Pastor Judah, have you been resting? How are you? And I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. You're weird. You're weird. I'm good. I don't even know you. Don't ask me. Don't talk to me like you're my mom. Please, man. I'm good, bro. Right? And that's how you feel. But they're kind of right. They're just breathy right, so they're not right. You know what I'm talking about? So you're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And then you walk away, and you start to really consider what they asked because they're kind of right. I really should take a break. But instead of taking a break, I'm going to up my activity to cover the fact that I'm exhausted. And so I just do more. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're, you're 12. <laughs> For the rest of us, no disrespect to 12-year-olds. I love 12-year-olds. 
But to the rest of us, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm so tired, I'm going to schedule two more meetings tomorrow. I'm going to say, yes, we're going to do it. Let's go. I'm doing this. And, and God's like, all right. Remember what you were made for? Worship. You think you're, you're made for work. You're made for worship. And work isn't always worship. It's not always worship. It's going to be so weird because I'm going to get, as I get older, I definitely see myself talking like this more. And I see myself becoming the guy who's always like, oh, it's Jude again, talking about taking time off. But like, it's more than time off. It's 30 minutes turning everything off in your cubicle, in your front lawn, on you and your roommate's itty-bitty patio at your condo, and you just get 30 minutes to collect your thoughts and think about God. You know, some of you are so busy studying the Scripture, you don't let the Scripture just speak to you. I mean, you just need to push back sometime and be like, God, tell me about your book, man. And let him talk to you. And by the way, get it wrong. I love dudes who come to me like, man, God told me that he's not the only God, bro. And I'd be like, oh, that wasn't him. But nice try. That was, that's cool. Let's try again. You know, like, but I really mean it. Like, you're going to hear wonky stuff. But if you have space to do it, talking about being alive, talking about being truly human. Are you going to fill your days with more activity? When did activity become so noble? When did a full schedule become synonymous with spirituality? In some places, in some dispensations, and some generations and eras, the more busy you were, the less spiritual you were. I'm not so sure that's accurate either. I'm just saying. There was a time where if you really loved God, you would give yourself and you would move away to a place of total oblivion and live in a remote, vacant space alone with God. That, that was a teaching. That's where that came from. Preachers like me preach that. We have swung the pendulum so far now that if you're not about the Father's business, <laughs> if one more person's like, yo, you know I'm about the Father's business, what? Okay. You're just super stressed out and your energy is just annoying to me. <laughs> and we pretend like this is how you're going to have great kids and a great marriage by running around. Hey, man. Hey, man. How are you? you good? Yeah. You know people who ask you questions, but they don't listen for a reply. What are we doing? Hey, man. You good? All right. <laughs> hey, man. How are you? Ah, man. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Oh, hold on. Hey, man. How are you? You good? Let's connect. Let's network. All right. Hey. Yeah, that's the guy we all want to hang with. No. So why are we becoming him? Well, because I don't want to be the guy in the group. Everyone's like, yo, man, I did this, I did this, I did this. And I'm like, I watched uh, Baywatch this weekend. Uh, so we, we get activities 
You know, I'm doing this and I'm doing, and I started my own foundation. And I started, everybody has a foundation. Back in the day, like when I was a kid, only like Michael Jordan had foundations. Y'all remember that? Like, I was like, man, I don't know if all of us should have foundations, but I guess we all do now. And they're all on Instagram and we're all raising money for our foundations. I think foundations are great. How are your foundation? Like, how are you? Are you like, seriously, like, does your mind ever wander to Jesus? Like, dang, bro, you are cool. I think you're so cool. I never, I think you're amazing. That's what I want for you. I don't want you to tell somebody like, yo, I go to, I go to that church home thing, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian for sure. <laughs> and that's the concentration. That's the consistency of your belief system. There's a lover of your soul who wants to walk through a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday, and he wants to be with you, and he wants to, to know you, but we are filling our lives with activity so that we can cover the stench of stress. And I think what it's going to take is all of us to stop and say, I'm exhausted. And hopefully you don't have to say it to the breathy person. Because when you tell the breathy person that you are tired and they're right, it's the worst. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I knew it, brother. Could I pray for you right here in the supermarket? No, but you are going to. Papa, Daddy, God, Jesus. You know, it's all. I lo Listen, you can call Jesus whatever you want, but those are the prayers I get in supermarkets. Papa, Daddy, Abba, Jesus. And I think it's awesome. We can call them all those things, but like we in Safeway. But anyways. We all are exhausted. Okay, I need to keep moving. I blame all of you. Um, we focus on rules. And I think we focus on rules because rules give us the illusion of control when we're not rested. <sighs> Jesus, help us. Um, rules will not save your life, this country, or any other country. Rules can minimize things. I generally, I was talking to somebody else, they're like, I'm a big law and order guy. The show or like law and order. I, he's a believer, you know, and he talked to me how why the Bible is a big law and order book. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I just rolled with it. I was tired. <laughs> you ever have one of those combos? You're like, law and order. Yeah, me too, man. Love that show. What's it on, 29th season? Super cool, TNT, forever. You know, like, I don't know, you know? But that's where we're at. Old Christian men in this country talking about law and order. All right. You know why? It's because you think it's how we can control. You know, the great, the, the thing that'll help you with rest is um, typically before you rest, you have to admit you're not in control and then you'll rest. People who can't rest might have a control problem. So here's what happens. When your hero dies, Jesus in this case, they want to do something. See, when you don't realize Jesus is alive and you think of him as if he is distant or dead, you believe that you have got to fill your schedule and follow the rules because the rules promise you an outcome that you can control. Not true. 
And so that's what preachers like me, is I impose rules on the congregation, hoping that the congregation can get the desired results. Now what we found in recent research is that churches crave preachers who preach rules. Because when I tell you rules, you feel like you're in control, but I am scared. Because the more rules I give you, you forget you're not in control, and that's a slippery slope. That's a slippery slope. Because now you start to present yourself as the reason your life is working out. And now you're going to start misrepresenting our whole belief system, which is for broken, fragmented, nightmare people who know they're not in control, tried to be in control, failed royally, gave up control, and found life. So I want you to know that the control you think you have is pretend. It's pretend. Your partnership is very minimal. <laughs> I love, guys, about this time, preachers will be like, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And how do you think you got the concept to seek him? From him. All roads lead back to you. No. All roads lead back to him. Think it through now. Faith, good works, grace, any of the tenets of our faith. It all is by him, unto him, through him, and about him. It's... So if you're here tonight and you're exhausted and you're weary and you're burned out and you're frustrated and you're disillusioned and you've exhausted all these different things in this life that has to offer and you're starting to wonder what in the world is going on, I got good news for you. You are primed and postured for an encounter with the Savior of the universe. We, so it says they got the spices and the ointments together as was according to the law. Isn't that funny? <laughs> he... He, he just died a few moments ago, and they're already gone. Now what, now, what are we supposed to do? What do the rules say? What do the rules say? What do the rules say? I would like to propose to you that you know what Jesus wanted from the disciples? He wanted them throwing an early party, a prophetic party, if you will. You know what Jesus wanted? He wanted all of his dudes, all of his disciples, and all the wonderful ladies who supported him. He wanted them throwing a party, getting ready for the resurrection day. We don't do that usually, we forget. So lastly, and this one's very interesting, we focus on the facts. So what we do is we start with like, I need control. I wanna control the situation. I need to be very active. And then lastly, I'ma keep it real. Keep it real. This is what's happening. And now be careful now, because I want to tell you that I think the facts, there's an element of truth, but the facts are not complete. The facts are not complete. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nudge this whole congregation into a whole teaching that was very much more popular like hundreds of years ago. And it's this teaching that basically takes everything on this planet and gives it a juxtaposition against eternity. Old preachers, they used to do this, old writings and thinkers. It's not as popular today in modern society, but it says something like this. One thing is forever, one thing is temporary. Which deserves the more of your attention and trust? 
which is to say, the facts you say, this is why people can't rest. Look at the facts. Look at the facts. He's dead! Throw a party. We're not gonna throw a party, he's dead. It gets worse. Two ladies run to the tomb. They meet the angel inside. He's like, why'd you come to a dead place if you're looking for somebody who's living? Don't you remember? And they're like, oh, shoot, we remember. That was like a couple days ago. All right, and they run back to all the guys who are locked in the upper room, and they said, hey, he's alive. And that's when the disciples go, oh, yeah, totally, let's put, no. You know what they do? They do what you do and I do. They said, no, don't tell fairy tales. Was this Dr. Seuss? Get out of here. He's dead. That's the facts. Some of you are facts people. Facts. <laughs> but the facts are not the complete truth. For there is another realm. There's another dimension. When you look at church history and you study, and you study black church history in this country, and I want to say to every black man, Women in this place, your ancestors have moved me deeper in my journey with Jesus than any other Christians in church history. But when we enslaved Africans in this country, if you will read some of the old spirituals and you will study some of the historic writings, you will discover that our black brothers and sisters, the only way there was a level of endurance to endure the grotesque, disgusting injustice that was done to them was this concept that will be there soon. There is a land promised. As it was promised to Israel, so it is promised to God's children. And it's a place called forever. And it's a place called eternity. And it's a place where there will be no injustice. And there will be no bigotry. And there will be no minimizing of human life in any way, shape, or form. But we, we, we treat this place like it's forever. We work like this is forever. We stress like this is forever. We gossip like this is forever. We grovel, we grope, we strive, we stress like this is forever. This You can't tell me. It's too late for me because I have been consoled with what my brothers and sisters and Christian ancestors consoled themselves with. For there is a time and a place to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because we're killing each other down here. For the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, there will come a great champion on a white horse. And he will come radiant in light and glory and majesty and magnificence and power and authority. And on his thighs, there'll be tattoos. Jesus is tatted. He's been getting tattoos since he resurrected. It's like weird stuff preachers said like in 2004. King of kings, Lord of lords. No, no, that's what it's going to say. I actually know that. But... <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, that's crazy. No, that, that's in the Bible. All right, so anyways. And we're going to go home. Hey, 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 hey. 
This isn't home. Where, where are, I'm talking about like Jesus reality people who will listen to me. God gives, keeps breath in my body and gives me the gift to preach and the gift to care for my neighbor and make a difference in my community and culture. I am by no means lessening for a moment a passion for this life and to make a difference. And that starts with simply loving God and loving your neighbor. And you know how passionate I am about that. But I am afraid for you and me, for in our efforts to be passionate about changing the world, we have assumed the role of a savior. Thank you. And we're not. Are you resting? Are you resting? How well do you rest? When's the last time you were still? Just still. When's the last time you were like, God, I'm stressed out. Ladies and gentlemen, I need more therapists in my life than I have right now. Don't misunderstand me. I'm in therapy. I need more therapy. My therapist said on Sunday in Seattle, she says, remember when I said you can call me anytime? You haven't called anytime. (laughs) So don't misunderstand me. But there are things I can only tell Jesus. I'm being dead serious. Stuff in the deepest part of my soul that is so ugly, that is so disgusting. And I'm like, sweet Lord Jesus, what are you going to do with me? Here I am. Help me. I want to be like you. That's what you were made for, though. God is such a good father. He's like, he's like dad's down here, but like way better. It's like mom's down here, but way better. But you know, if my boys came to me and said, yo, yo, dad, I want to do this, this, and this with you. I'd be like, that's amazing. We start doing all these activities together, but we never connected. We never held each other. We never did those connections that don't need words. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I love you, son. I love you, dad. You think, I'm, you think I got babies so I can just play golf? go on bike rides and eat french fries and hamburgers with? The hamburger, the fries, the golf, and the bikes, it's all a setup. I set it all up so I can be close to my boys, so I can be with my daughter. It's never been about where we went to eat, ever, to be honest. And we fight about it like any other family. And it's annoying. (laughs) What do you think this is all about? Your career? You need to talk to some retired people. You need to consider old, old dead Hollywood stars. I'm being serious. Your career? I'll be the first in line as a minister to pray for your career, to believe for great things for your career. Be careful what you wish for. So much activity, so many rules, so many facts. What are you? 
I'm a doer. I'm saving the world with Jesus. Eventually, any dad, any mom, finds a place to tell their kids, so you know how this works, right? I loved you before you did anything. It's called insidious, crazy, abnormal, illogical love. And everything you do is super cute. I don't care as much. What I care about is And what we're, we're unwilling to admit is that oftentimes when we are in the posture of rest, please hear what I'm about to say. It's not that he loves us more. It's that we can feel his love more. For when I do nothing and I feel his love, my brain goes, what? I wasn't even preaching. I wasn't even being a good dad. I was watching a Netflix movie. (laughs) And all of a sudden, here he came into my room. I was drinking a Zevia. I was devouring smart sweets, eating Lily's chocolate. I look like a nightmare. And here he comes. I'm so proud of you. What was that? I'm so proud of you, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm proud of you too. I love you. Yeah, I love you too. What's that for God? I just love you. I, I'm tired, man. I'm tired just like you're tired. I'm tired of all the doing. I'm tired. We're going to be home soon. Would you be willing to carve out some time to worship well? (laughs) The end of the story, you know it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. We only do this once a month. So what am I supposed to speak for 30 minutes? Grow up. (laughs) I left 30 minutes a long time ago. He walks through the wall. Doesn't even use a door. It's for a wow factor, by the way. I love Jesus. He's like, when he needs to wow people, he's like, all right, check this out. Oh, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> I can do walls, man. And he goes, go ahead. Says to Thomas, who is doubting. And they all stand in the room. And Jesus is there. Can you imagine the emotion? All the doors are locked and they forgot. And you think because all of your doors are locked and you're anxious and you're fearful and you're worried and you forgot all the words of Jesus that somehow you're a bad person? No, 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 no. These people walked with him physically and they forgot. But then he stood in the room and he said, it's me. I love this part because this is why I love Jesus. He says this, he says this. This is for them, not for him. He goes, give me something to eat. I love this part. He's like, Y'all want to watch me eat? Because I'm going to eat to prove to you I'm here. This isn't ghost. I'm here. Give me some food. This really happened. They're like, and Jesus is standing there and he's like, thanks. 
I don't think he ate with his mouth open. That's weird. No savior would do that. But he's just like, they're watching resurrected Jesus eat. You know why? Because he just desperately wants you to know that he's here. That he's right here. So he's like, I'll eat in front of you guys. If that helps you, just give me some food. You can watch me eat. This is weird, but I'll eat. Whatever, I'm not hungry. I don't need to eat, but I'll eat. If that's what you guys need. And they're like, he's eating. He's here. This is real. Do you want more? And everything changed after that. Wish I had time to go through church history because everything changed after that. But we're here again, you know. We're in proverbial locked rooms again. We forget again what he says and who he is and how real he is. And we're busy in our activities, trying to cover up the anxiety. We want somebody to just tell us what to do and give us the rules because the facts are the facts. Oh, God. Are we going to repeat the most unrestful Sabbath again and again and again? He's alive. He's amongst us. He's in charge. He's in control. Your legislation is not bigger than him. Your favorite party is not more powerful than God. We're going to be dead soon, church home. This life is a vapor. Hold to the days you have. Cling to the man who walks through walls. Love the people in your life. Care for your neighbor. Drink deeply of the day you have, for it might be your last. May the days come where the busy man isn't vogue anymore. Where the worshipful, peaceful, still, confident, at ease, women and men stand up and the world takes notice. Who are you? We are worshipers of a God who's in charge. And let all activity flow from the circle Adoring the man who walks through walls. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm done crying. He is standing on this stage as sure as he stood in that room. I bet my forever on it. How bad is it? How busy are you? How exhausted are you? How fatigued are you? How anxious are you? How wound up are you? How worked up are you? How angry are you? Whew. My gift to you tonight is that in light of the man who walks through walls and gets up from graves and still can show you the scars in his body for you, that if he is alive and he is in charge and he is in control, you can leave all your cares, your worries, 
and your fears. I mean this, dad, you're worried about your kids. Mom, you're stressed out about your marriage. Roommates, you're stressed out about whether or not you're gonna make rent, and then if you can up again in nine months, and you're all worked up about it, and what's it gonna happen? I'm telling you tonight, I give you divine permission to let go. So the band's gonna join me on stage strategically because they're gonna use now melody and harmony to allow us to reflect on what we've just received. Here's what I would do if I were you. I would envision and imagine myself in that circle, in that room, and I would look on wonderful Jesus and then just go from there. You just gotta see him, man. You just have to see him. And, 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 and maybe you close your eyes and you can see this wonderful, beautiful Jesus with eyes of love like you've never seen, man. Never gives up on you. Can you stop working for him, rest with him, and then work with him? He thinks all of your work is so stinking cute and adorable, but that's about it. <laughs> Serious. Oh, that's super cute. I love you. I'm so proud of you. Can we hang out? I just want you. I just want you. That's what a father wants. He just wants you. So please, I beg you tonight, don't you dare, as this band starts playing, don't you dare give him the good parts. Give him the super ugly parts of you. Nobody will know. Tell him stuff you can't tell your therapist. Let him carry your burdens tonight. He's a burden bearer. <laughs> He's so wonderful. I feel him in this room. Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Meanwhile, we're down here too tired to rest. We need your help. Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. If you're here tonight, you say, Judah, I would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers. I'm going to invite you to do something. It's called respond. It's not earn it, deserve it. It's just respond to it. If you would like to respond and receive what is a free gift, you can be forgiven forever in one moment of receptivity. All your selfishness, self-serving, all the people you've hurt and the wrong you've done will be covered and forgiven forever. And you will have a relationship with God that will go on for eternity. If you want that, Tonight, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. And I only ask you to raise your hand. We are not counting. We are not going to bother you if you don't want us to. But I think when you raise your hand on the outside, it solidifies what's truly happening to you on the inside. You know who you are. One, Two, three, if that's you, just slip up your hand all over the room. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you see every hand, you see every heart. You are so wonderful. 
and your forgiveness flows like a mighty river through this place. And all who receive are forgiven forever. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.